0: Seattle, Seattle, and you need to buy a seller
1: Don't go anywhere unless you
0: want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 578 now of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. What
1: is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey,
0: coming up on the Ron and Don Show, Frank Lloyd. Yeah, we're going to talk about some Franks today. Frank Lloyd. Right? Yeah, Frank Lloyd right? Built 120 homes towards the end of his life, and only one original owner still remains if you want to buy that house we'll tell you about it also i met uh, ron's neighbor frank we'll talk about that in a minute before we get to that though let's get to this by the time that you've heard this uh all-star preparations have been happening in the city of seattle they say for years now uh something that's happening in the downtown core of seattle and unlike a lot and we see this in San Francisco we see this on in a lot of West Coast cities right now if you travel uh, you see lots of derelict RVs you see lots of tents uh, our mayor here has been very concerned about that so they've been down in the downtown core where they believe that people are going to come to visit to go to the All-Star game. And so they've been trying to clean those areas up and basically given tents and derelict RVs, 72 hours to move. And if they don't get moved, they will move those for you. I think what's interesting about this is the reason why we're doing this is because of a baseball game, right? The reason why we're doing this is because we have tourists that are coming here and it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth cuz i know what's going to happen as soon as the tourists leave the tents and derelict rvs are going to come back and oh by the way there's a very big movement now and i don't we we have to come up with a different name cuz this is to call the homeless the homeless is is the, the people that are truly homeless, that truly need our help is very different than the people in the downtown core that are digging in. In fact, I saw a gentleman who is encouraging all of his neighbors to bring their RVs down, their derelict RVs to bring down their tents. If your derelict RV doesn't run, because many of them don't, I'd say about 70% don't give it a toe, come down and let's create chaos in the downtown core. They asked one gentleman, they said, well, if they gave you a tiny house right now or they found some housing or there's a new organization here we're going to talk about a little bit bit later that is building pallet housing for people, just taking old pallets and building homes. Uh, Would would you accept one of those homes? And he's like, hell no. He just, he wants to live free or die on the streets of Seattle. Uh, He's not necessarily looking for housing. He just wants to be left alone and he also wants to cause chaos here in the city of Seattle. Ron, what's the... About the mayor saying, "Yeah, we're gonna do a cleanup," but then we both know that as soon as the All Star game's over, everybody's gonna move right back in, and and more chaos is just going to continue, right?
1: I mean, that's literally the definition of politics, <laughs> you know, of saying, hey, uh, we spent a tremendous amount of money to get this beautiful baseball stadium. We applied to be on the list of an all-star game. It does bring a lot of money into the city. You know, all of those restaurateurs, all of the hotel uh, folks, all of your Uber drivers, like there's a lot of money that's going to be spent for people. I was looking up going to the Home Run Derby and tickets in the, in the, the no, Bleeds are two hundred fifty dollars a ticket to see the home run derby. I was like, oh, that might be fun to try to attend one of the events here for for All Star Weekend. So I, I get the pol- political pressure uh, of uh, someone like the, the the Seattle Mariners having inroads to the mayor's office to say, hey, do do us a solid here for Major League Baseball. Like this is a this is a big deal. Make it feel like a big deal. So I understand that pressure. To your other point, though. It, the, the the more time ticks by on this issue, the more that I come to realize that there's no ask. There's no – in other words, if you were um, Black Lives Matter when it first started, they had an agenda. It was like, hey, we want police reform in, in this – traffic stops, let's say. There were agenda items that you could look at and talk about and go – Hey, yeah, you make a good point. Maybe we need a uniform nationwide police code on traffic stops. Like, so there, there were agenda items that you could negotiate on or you could think about or you could talk about policy with the homelessness in Seattle. You, you kind of said it beautifully. The agenda is I wanted to you to leave me alone. I don't want to contribute to society. I don't want to pay any rent. I don't want, I want services for free free of charge no questions asked on my behavior on my mental state on my uh, substance use i don't want any accountability or questions pointed towards me unless it's free things and then you leave me alone where i can disrespect any zoning law any uh business any it's a one-way street there is no agenda and so that's not something you can negotiate on.
0: And you, and, you, and you left out basically an open air drug market and the ability to go out and steal things to fool to 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 fuel your drug addiction. And and people on the streets are smart enough. As, as long as they don't steal big items, they're just released and they're back on the streets, cause as cops tell me, the the jail won't take them. The jail the jail will not.
1: Take that. It was interesting my um, uh, a former client of ours, Eric, was in town yesterday, and we went out uh, to dinner and so we 're down on the lake beautiful night the uh, sun is shining we 're having a, a nice dinner talking <laughs> and a homeless guy is doing laps around it 's a patioed uh, restaurant, so we were you know right very close to the water. This homeless person is doing laps outside the window, and I could see Eric you know watching him go by. And I turned to look at him. he's wearing hoka One shoes.
0: <laughs> My uh,
1: favorite is when they're asking two, for chi- two hundred and twenty five dollar two hundred and twenty five dollar yeah. running shoes yeah, yeah uh,
0: and he's probably on his phone too and, and so he, get, he' getting free Wi-Fi. I
1: would imagine that based on the rest of his ensemble, which included very dirty clothes and a a jack a puffer jacket that was kind of half on half off his body because it was over eighty degrees, that most likely he didn't pay full retail. For these Hoka Ones, but when he's walking a lot of miles, I guess he needs some foot support. No. My point being is like, I, I think that we have re I hope we have reached the point in, uh, in Seattle politics where we say, yes, every human being has human rights. I understand that, but, and we've talked about this before reframing this as it is more humane to involuntarily put someone in, in some kind of home or treatment program or take them off the streets than it is to say, no rules apply to you, live under a bridge, live in a tent. There's a guy that sleeps on the curb uh, where people launch their their kayaks into Lake Union. He's posted up on the curb, like 20 feet from the water, and that's where he lives, and so children are going by uh people are trying to you know put their water toys into the water and a, a man is living there on on the curb so it's just it's at some point we have to say is it more humane to just let this person live in the elements and fend for themselves every day and struggle with mental illness and substance abuse and all the criminality and and not being safe, hygiene issues, et cetera, disease, sickness to, or to say, Hey, Hey buddy, you know, you have, I think you've waived your rights in the same way that a criminal waves his rights in the same way that a mentally ill person waives his rights, in the same way that if you're a foster parent, uh, you can waive your rights by doing certain behaviors. I think the, the, the body of those behaviors has now been waived. And as a society, it is more humane to step in and say, yes, you're not necessarily arrested. We're removing you from the street whether you like it or not. So maybe that is being arrested.
0: Yeah, and I, I would just encourage the mayor and the city council to do a field trip, just fly down to San Francisco and, and take a walk through San Francisco. And what's happening there has been going on for a very long time. Ron and I lived nine, there 97, 98 when we worked for the Raiders. We lived over in Oakland, but we would travel in the BART into San Francisco. And, and San Francisco right now is shrinking, right? One of the top five cities in America is shrinking. Portland right now is shrinking their downtown core has been destroyed and here in seattle because we are lucky to have amazon and also some of the other tech giants here in seattle but don't think there won't come a point where they pull up as well and say you know what we're gonna go somewhere else because there certainly isn't a shortage around america right now when it comes to commercial space there's lots of commercial space and there would be a lot of cities out there that would love for Amazon uh, to move its tech hub. And I have to tell you, after getting beat up by the city council, not so much by this mayor, but the mayor before, and proposing head taxes and everything else, and basically just beating the crap out of these tech organizations. If it wasn't for these tech organizations calling their workers back to work restaurants bars uh coffee shops we would look what's happening in portland and san francisco could very well happen right here in the city of seattle and if you don't think these big companies won't move just ask people that work for boeing boeing's still here but then we remember a number of years ago uh, the way it felt when they said, hey, we're going to move the headquarters to Chicago and we're going to start building planes in the South because it's cheaper uh, to build planes in the South and we don't have to deal with such a strong union uh, here in Seattle. So we, we are very, very lucky to have the Boeings and the Starbucks and the Metas and the Googles, and we could go on and on and on here. But I don't think we're going to have those companies here in perpetuity if it doesn't feel safe for the workers to even come back to work. And in downtown Seattle, it doesn't, it does not feel safe right now. It does and, not.
1: And some of the cities you mentioned, like a Chicago, and then I'll get off my soapbox here. Um, they would have taken this opportunity, a mayor like Daly, he would have taken the all-star opportunity to not just relocate them, to do something dramatic. And then he would have well, used I don't, that. I
0: don't, I don't think Mayor Daley would work with the mob. And I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if we should go Mayor Daley here. But
1: you know uh, what I'm saying? And, and, there and, are other cities where they would take And the, Chicago
0: is the, has, has the highest murder rate per capita right now of any, any city in the nation. So Chicago certainly has its own problems.
1: But my point is, some mayors or some politicians Mayor would Steve. take the all-star break as an opportunity to, to actually do something and not just shuffle the deck.
0: Yeah. Mayor Daley, you'd have to, he'd start burying bodies. Wow. Anyway. He
1: got stuff done.
0: Yeah, and his son did too. Not always legally, but they certainly got things done. Hey, you guys, uh, we will see you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's Don. Now listen to me. I had a neighbor walk up the street and say to me the other day, hey, we're interested in having you sell our home, but it seems like this is a bad time to sell a home, and we need the money from our home to leave Queen Anne, Washington, and we're going to Mexico, and we're taking our dog that we found in Mexico, Poncho, we're taking him back home, and that's where we're going to live from now on. What's crazy is... The gentleman that owns that house used to own the house that i'm sitting in they sold me this house right anyway i had some good news for them and i had to tell them hey it's the summer months you want to sell in the fall the market is actually very good right now for sellers but your home must be dialed in and ron you must do your work in this marketplace right now and if you do Sellers, you will be rewarded,
1: right? Yeah, and it all starts with a Ronadon sit down. No obligation. It's free of charge. It's on Zoom. It's about half an hour. Email me directly, Ron at Ronadon.com, or go to the website ronadonsitown.com.
0: All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, if you need to sit down with us, Ron, you were just doing a sit down yesterday, weren't you?
1: Yeah, you can email me, uh, ron at ronadon.com. Yesterday's was a, a first time buyer and uh, didn't know where to start. It was like, Hey, I've always, uh, I'm starting my career college graduate. I have a good job. I'm making the the most money I've ever made in my life. How do I buy a home? And so that was a really, I love those sort of sit downs, uh, where you get to kind of show people uh, behind the curtain of how, what it's going to take to get a house. Uh, and then we've also done sit-downs where people are very seasoned and have just bought and sold five or six or seven houses in their life, but maybe they've been out of the game for 10 or 15 years and it just feels different and they need a refresher. Uh, either of those, just email me directly, ron at ronadon.com. Okay, we'll talk about
0: the two Franks here in a moment. I went up to Ron's tiny house for his birthday and I met some guy in the woods by the name of Frank. He's your neighbor, by the way. Uh, we'll talk about Frank. And then also Frank Lloyd Wright before we get out of here. Uh, quick update on a story. We've been talking a lot about tipflation in America. Everybody is turning the screen around asking you for a tip. They've asked some etiquette experts now at CNBC. And they said, hey, are there times where it's just... It's, it, where you don't have to tip, even if they're asking for a tip. Cause I know sometimes we, we feel confused by this and they sat down with five etiquette experts and they said, yeah, five here, here, here are five times or five examples that you don't have to tip. Number one, a blanket rule. You don't need to tip professionals if they get a salary. So if someone's a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher, a plumber or a cable technician, don't tip them. I have to say though, it can be so hard to get a cable technician out to your house. So anytime I get one, or even a plumber, it's very hard to get a plumber. And a plumber right now is anywhere between one hundred thirty-five and one hundred seventy-eight dollars an hour. That's what you're paying the plumber. Uh, if you were to call an emergency plumber, you're you're spending the moment they walk in your door probably five hundred to thousand dollars. Even if they just come in and they have to tighten something, it starts there. It's very, very expensive. So I have to say, if if I have a plumber or a cable technician coming over, what I often will do is I tip them or I buy them lunch. I try to do something. And then I ask them for their personal cell number. And I'm just like, hey, if I have an issue, especially if they deal with a big company, I said, could you come do something in the evening for me and on the weekends? And I would say 10 times out of 10, they will say, Yes, right? Now you're just paying them directly so you don't have to pay a big company. So I will say in that instance... Uh, If you're if you're trying to create some kind of relationship, go ahead and tip the plumber or the cable technician. Here's the other thing. Open bar events. Uh, Every once in a while, Ron and I will still go do an auction somewhere. It's typically for kids. It's always open bar. And I always feel like when I'm getting something for free at the open bar and if it's something that I'm hosting, it's generally just water. Uh, but I still, cause you see, you, you see the crap up there with the one dollar bills in it. I and disagree I still, with that one. I because still feel like I need to tip on the open the, bar.
1: These people that are working the bartenders are typically. Uh, not professional bartenders like those are folks you have like a catering company or someone that is running this or it might be a hotel or wherever and someone's that's just their their shift for the night so i I always tip the open bar person assuming that the money's going to that bartender uh if i'm not paying for the drink even if it's you know just the red wine or white wine or whatever it is that one i disagreed with the first one on professionals i thought uh was really agreeable.
0: all right double tipping we've talked about this uh, in some cities now, there's a there's a fee that they add. specifically when you go into restaurants, some nail salons are now doing this and they're saying, hey, don't feel like because you'll see this on the restaurant slip where they automatically add the tip and, and and then there's an opportunity to add an additional tip. When you write zero on the additional tip, it really makes me feel like a heel. I feel I feel horrible for that. What's What say you?
1: Well, I think that uh, for people like you and me, um, the restaurant has shot themselves in the foot because I know that you normally go more than 20%. Yep. And so when right. they put the 30, 20, 30, 35%. When yep. they put the 20 in there, they're losing money on you. Right. And same with me. If I got good service, I will go above 20%. So, but if you preemptively force me to do 20, then I'm like, fine, I'm doing 20. Yeah. I was going to give you more, but I'm going to do 20.
0: All right. Uh, they also say if it's poor service. So yesterday, I went to see my friend uh, Michelle. I got my hair cut, and I always tip her. I probably tip her. I I, I tipped her 41% yesterday is wow. what I tipped her. Because uh, that, that, I, 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 I. I know for people that are in, in, in the service industry and you're running your own business, I know that that's helpful, right? Because I, and if you've worked in the service industry before you're sympathetic, I would say anytime I've gone out with someone uh, and, and, and they tip the waiter or the waitress a lot of money, when, when, when you ask them, have you waited tables before? Almost a hundred percent of the time they have. And so what what say you about poor service? If, if you go somewhere and get a bad haircut, are you still going to tip the barber?
1: I think the haircut is different. And I think the spirit of what they were saying in that article was something like a, a restaurant. Uh, yeah, if you got a bad haircut, then I think you, you're, you know, most of us have a stylist that we've been to for a while. I will still, I had a hairstylist, I don't know, maybe a year ago, slip with the clippers. They were doing the, you know, my sideburns. And something happened where her hand slipped and she went and like put a little vanilla ice line in the side of my head. And she felt so bad about it, and so I still tipped her the normal amount. Like it was a mistake; she didn't mean to put the vanilla ice stripe in the side of my head. Her hand just slipped, and so uh, it was kind of funny. And I was like, "I'll go out in a couple of days." But she, <laughs> there's a line right there. Yeah. Uh, but again, mistake. If it was, if it's just bad, bad, or let's say you're a woman and you're, and they fry your hair color or something, yeah, absolutely no tip, and never go back to that person again. Well,
0: and then finally counter service. You can remember going into Starbucks for a long time. if you were going to tip them, there wasn't a way to tip them if you were going to use a card and I used to carry cash just so if I went into uh, a coffee place like a Starbucks that that I could tip now they have the screen, and you can tip a dollar two dollars or five dollars or you can customize the tip and and finally these etiquette experts are saying you don't need to do that you're you're waiting on yourself when you're standing at the counter they're getting paid a living wage to stand behind the counter don't tip i i i like to tip at the counter
1: well the starbucks example is really interesting to me for this reason they felt like and howard schultz felt like we give people a living wage they also had a program where you could uh team members could go to I believe it was Phoenix University. I believe that's true. Huh. Where they would pay for if you took college classes through, you know, one of these programs. Uh they have health care. And so they had a benefit package where they thought, "Hey, for a coffee shop, we're giving a pretty good package to employees." So we're not going to no tipping. Like, that was their stance. Then you had uh, these unions that tried to form. That's right. Howard was a union buster. Like, yeah. he came in there, even though he's worth billions of dollars, and lost the Seattle Supersonics, and Don called him out on the air, and we almost got fired from the radio station that day instead of getting fired years later. But that's another story for another day, and we're never going to forgive him uh, for losing it over Gary Payton's contract. But I digress. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to come in, no unions in Starbucks, and he pushed hard on that. And then some. Uh, then he retired and unretired and retired and unretired and ran for president and didn't run for president, sent out $10 million of his own books so it could become a New York Times bestseller, but they gave him that for free, and I digress <laughs> again. And so some unions started to pop up, and then as a concession, I think, when the new CEO came in, I forget his name off the top of my head. I think it's like Paul Johnson or something like that. He's like, maybe we'll allow the tipping. Uh, because it's standard in mom and pop coffee shops. And even though your mom and pop coffee shop probably doesn't have free college education and probably doesn't have the same health care benefits that we do, and they uh, they get these tips. And so maybe on a busy day, that barista is making 25 $30 an hour on a Saturday morning shift. Uh, whereas our, ours are making less and maybe they're not going to college. They're not using that benefit. So I, I, the Starbucks example has been interesting because of the unionization of people going, uh, hey, you're going to limit my hours. You might keep me right under 40 hours. You're going to have me go to different stores. You know, I'm be, I might be working at one store, and you're going to call me out to another store. We had a client that was in management there that would just arbitrarily get moved around. There might be someone uh, doing an anonymous complaint, and now you're getting called into HR over some. I mean, it, it was it turned into a big bureaucracy. And so giving in on the tipping thing is interesting. To rewind to the article, I do struggle with that uh i guess it depends like there's a sandwich shop by my house and i walk up there you put your order in i guess it feels like i should tip for the guy making my sandwich but with the coffee sort of like if someone just hands me something i don't want to tip them
0: it's a very very expensive city to live in though you talk to do this next time especially if you live in seattle next time you go into trader joe's Talk to the people that work in Trader Joe's. And by the one, the top of Queen Anne, don't go there because their refrigeration went out. You know, so I'm dumping out everything yesterday. and <laughs> had, had to close the store. Ooh, uh, All those people that work there are not from Seattle. All of them are driving from Federal Way and Tacoma and Everett. They're not driving from the east side. And they're, they, they don't live in Seattle proper. They're driving from somewhere else. And I... We, we should just keep that in mind. It's become a very expensive place uh, if you're working at a Trader Joe's because you have to park, too, and you still have to eat lunch, too. Uh, you have to sit there in traffic and buy gas and all the rest. And so a lot of people that work in the service industry in Seattle have to commute to, 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 to come to Seattle to come to work. I want to take care of those people. Good so, point. Yeah, we'll see you on the other side of this.
1: Hey, it's Ron here with Mitch Weeks. You hear him on the show from Mitch.loans. And Mitch, you have a cool program out right now because interest rates are higher than they've been for quite a while, but you have a solution possibly for buyers. We do. Rates are high, but they're expected to go down. And that's why we came up with this program. It's the Rate Replace Program. So you can buy at current rates. And then when rates drop within the next year or so, you actually get to replace that rate and the fees are on us. So you can refinance that loan into a new loan, and we will cover the lender fees for you. So that's the Rate and Replace program. Replace that rate. Very cool. So that's a a really a good incentive for buyers. Uh, You can buy now with the security of knowing that Mitch at Mitch.loans will replace that rate. Check him out right now online at Mitch.loans. That's Mitch.loans.
0: Welcome back to the final segment of the Ron and Don Show. We're going to talk about two Franks. First, Frank Lloyd Wright. I didn't know Frank Lloyd Wright was a part of building 120 homes. I thought it was like a dozen homes, over 120 homes. And this is kind of interesting, Ron, and, I, and you love architecture. Uh, I guess one of the original, there's only one original owner left out of the 120 homes. All 119 of the other homes have now changed hands. And yeah, every once in a while, you'll, I'll be flipping through something online and you'll see a Frank Lloyd Wright home uh that's for sale and and these homes are rather unique aren't they
1: they are they're not let's just start here not all frank lloyd wright homes are created equal uh there's some stuff that he did in the, the fourth chapter of his life in arizona that i don't love like he got into these decorative concrete brick Pattern things that are weird I mean I I get it but it's not my favorite Uh, there are he did a concept called the Usonian home where he was trying to deliver something that could be more mass-produced some of those are a little bit quirky but what we have to remember um, is how he revolutionized the way Americans think about their interior space because if you go back to right before that so if we think about houses and housing in America even here in Seattle on your East Coast, uh, people are coming from England, and so they built English-style Tudor houses. Uh, and that was very, very simple. You would build a square, um, and then if you needed another room, you would attach another square, and you'd put a, a door between the two squares if you need if you got kids you'd put a square on top of the square and now you got a room above and you'd shoehorn a a staircase in there if you needed a a root cellar you dig a hole under the square that's a square and you put your potatoes down there so that was the, the basic format is building squares uh and then you come out to the west coast and the craftsman was invented what was the craftsman four squares So you would build four squares, put four squares on top, and everything was segmented. If you've ever toured houses or been in someone's house where you walk out of the bathroom and you're in this little vestibule where there's six doors at you, then it's like, what is going on? Where do all these doors go? you got a closet, a bathroom, two bedrooms, a hallway, a kit. You know, that's just doors everywhere. And so what Frank Lloyd Wright's contribution is, uh, and why he's such a mammoth figure in housing is he's like, I want to open this up. Like, I don't want all these doors separating everything from everyone. So the, the, the thought of an open concept of living uh, where you have public spaces and private spaces inside a house, it was taken from the world of, bigger building architecture that he was a genius at and doing these, you know, the Johnson Wax building and that sort of thing where these mammoth projects that he was also a genius at. And so he changed the way that people felt about their home. You would come in and you would have a flow to things. There would be an entrance and you'd come into a great room and then there would be, he he went too far in that he'd had to design everything. Design the light fixtures, he would design the furniture, he would design the wall coverings, he would design everything. And for many people, they're like, dude, I don't want your furniture, I want my own furniture. But it only worked as a Frank Lloyd Wright masterpiece when you did the whole package. So this last guy standing uh, has owned this house for 70 years. He met with Frank Lloyd Wright. It was $100,000 70 years ago, which was quite a bit of money for the times. Um, And he got the full Frank Lloyd Wright treatment. So the original chairs are still there and the original built-in couches, the original window coverings. Everything uh, works great in that house as long as you don't go to the furniture store and buy a bigger couch or as long as you don't want to put a flat screen TV on the wall. Um, But he is a giant for the reason of opening things up, not just having a bunch of boxes stacked on top of each other, but having a flow and having a real delineation between you know, when companies over were in these spaces and they work with each other, the kitchen works with the living room, works with people know where to sit. People know where to gather. Uh, there's good light in here. There's good movement from the inside to the outside. You can feel nature. And then when it's a private space, I'm going to go to bed. It's a little less um ornate and it's private and it's makes sense that like, oh, I don't go back there that's Don's room and it made sense before that you just you didn't know which door to open you were like okay there's six doors you're opening doors you're, see, you're walking into someone's bedroom because all the doors were the same and they all terminated at the same spot and so it's remarkable that this man has lived in that house for 70 years his wife passed away he's lived in it for 70 years now looking to turn it, he's like maybe I'll turn it into a museum uh, because I'm the last of the you know last of of a, of a type if you will um but you and i when we lived in michigan there were several frank Lloyd Wright homes around there and i would drive by them all the time again not all of them are genius but he's surely falling water this is the first ballot hall of fame genius home uh johnson wax building amazing Taliesin uh is great Taliesin and west eh. and scottsdale eh. yeah 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 all right from one frank to another before we get
0: out of here uh I'd like that you just throw your own birthday party now. And you, you, you threw a great party. Lots of people came up to see you at the tiny house. How, how do you, how do you rank your birthday party? How do you think it went? And, uh, I met a guy named Frank out in the woods. I'll talk about not Frank Lloyd Wright, but a different Frank, Frank the nurse. Before we get to that though, uh, Scale one to ten. How do you how do you how do you feel like your your own pretty good
1: birthday party? Your own
0: party was it
1: wasn't well. You know, during COVID, my I had my 50th birthday party during COVID, so I wasn't able to have a party. And but you were great. You gave me a very generous gift, and I was appreciative of that. Uh, And so I was like, if I want to, I sort of pictured as more of a gathering, and it happened to be my birthday, and I've 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 wanted to have a a, an event out at the tiny house, and so um, I just sort of threw it all together into one thing, but I thought it went well. I thought it was, I hope people had fun.
0: I think they had a great time. And, and and I thought allowing people to kind of make their own pizzas was, was, was pretty genius. I didn't get any pizza because I ended up over working the grill, and, right. and by the time I got done working the grill, the 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 pizza was shut down. So how how was this the the pizza was great. If you want to do pizza.
1: a pizza night, um, we can do it at my on the big green egg here or go back up uh, next weekend. I'm going back up. Yeah, if you want to come up, we can fire up the pizza
0: Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I I jumped on uh, my bike and I headed off. Yeah, I was going for a ride, and then I there was a sign that said. Uh, don't go beyond this road, private road. You could be shot, killed, maimed, something. So, of course, that's the road I want to go down. So I'm going down that road, and then all of a sudden, I see this gentleman who is stuck in a six wheeler. Have you ever seen the the six wheeler? Not. I've up seen by the I've dam.
1: a guy in a four wheeler, but not a six wheeler.
0: Yeah, he's on a six wheeler. It's stuck, so I stopped to help him out a little bit and, and, and push him push push him out of this muddy hole he was in. Come to find out, his name was Frank. And Frank used to be a nurse and he moved up in that area about a year ago. And he said, he bought some land real cheap. And I said, how much land did you buy? He said, 12 acres. And I said, where's the 12 acres? And he pointed through this, this, it's very dense wood and this hillside. And he, and he said up there. And I said, isn't that where they, they had a slide a number of years ago? He said, yeah, the slide happened the same year that the Oso landslide happened. But everybody was talking about Oso that happened up up near Darrington, Arlington, up in that area in in Oso, Washington. And that's when the president, Barack Obama, uh, came. And we did a lot with that on the radio as far as, trying to raise money so they could build a road and fuel and shovels and chainsaws and all that. So a lot of you may remember, we we gathered probably about $300,000 worth of materials. Uh, and, and a lot of that was gas money and chainsaws. So anyway, uh, this was happening at the same time. He said there are a number of homes, probably a dozen to 15 homes up there that are still up there right? Uh, that slid. And so he said he was able to buy some some property real cheap. And I asked him what he was going to do. And he said, right now, he's just living in a tent. And he said he he wanted to see if he could live in a tent through the winter. He's tired of being a nurse, wants to live off the grid. So he's up there living off the grid, takes out a smoke. He's smoking a cigarette. And then he explains to me, he said, hey, be careful when you uh, go up to the dam uh, he said, "There's some dead guy in there floating around." He said he went up there to go swimming, and and I think Frank had talked to him a number of days ago, and then the guy just disappears. And he said they're still up there looking for his body. Uh, they weren't looking real hard because I went up there by the dam, and I didn't. And, and in fact, at one point he said, "Look over there. Is that an eagle or is that a dead body?" And I'm like,
1: "Sounds like I had a great conversation." Yeah, with I'm like,
0: "I think it's a, I think it's an eagle, but it could be a dead body." So I'm gonna go check it out. So so anyway, he's on this four wheeler and i said don't aren't you fearful if you build something up there that it's going to slide all over again and he goes he he said yeah you know that could happen he said but you know once once you have one good slide uh he doesn't expect a second slide but he but he couldn't guarantee it and he is frank is living up in the slide area which, which and when I was coming back, his four wheeler was there. As a trailer out there with some supplies on it, but he had disappeared up in the up in the bush. And I said, "Well, what have you been doing for the last year?" And he showed me his rock collection. He's been he's been collecting rocks, hmm. and he wanted to know if I would like a rock. And uh, I didn't take a rock uh, like a rock. I, I may go back, yeah. But when I met him, I didn't I didn't know if he was going to kill me or we're going to be friends. I think I. I I think I may be one of Frank's best friends now, especially since I helped
1: him. Yeah, uh, if you got the offering for a rock, I dig think out you guys with, are yeah, solid.
0: Dig out with the six wheeler, and uh, and again, uh, I just I want to warn people: if you're up in the index area and you're up by the dam, if if you see something that looks like a dead body, it could be a dead body. Or it could just be Frank or, or it could be an eagle. It could be one of the, one of those three things. If you're up in that area, I will say though, when you see some of the homes up there that have slid and then I found an old Studebaker out in the, did I show you that picture? Yeah. I found an old Studebaker out in the woods. There's a lot going on up in index. Uh, and it's really interesting to me because you bought this piece of property. You see pieces of property now around you where people are spending real money in, in a, and, and developing it and, and and making those properties real nice and i and i love the guy down the street who keeps moving he he built these tiny homes and i i think they're airbnbs now aren't they and he i keep, think so he keeps moving them around because i think they get flooded and 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 now they're up on now they're up on the stilts so Yeah, he's
1: doing a good job with that he, he does it actually yeah. looks good
0: yeah so 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 anyway and there's just something about that river you're right if you jump in one of those hammocks even if you have trouble sleeping at night, you just within fifteen minutes you're 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 yeah.
1: You cracked me up on that. I mean, I can I'll just be there for five. <laughs> yeah.
0: Fast asleep. It's a great play. Yeah, just the the rhythm of the river is So great. I think for me, I have such ringing in my ears from all it our makes years the of broadcast. Go away, yeah. So yeah. So when you hear that river, you don't hear the ringing, and it, it's kind of nice. So hey, you guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Ron and Don Show. If you need us, just reach out.
1: Yeah, Ron at He's Don at rondondon Or you can do a schedule a sit down, even down. Download a buyer's or seller's playbook at sitdown.com Yeah,
0: head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.
1: Now keep your head up and your shoulders back, and keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only! Only. Only! Only. Only! Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network.